Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, as we journey together, as we, as we come to this place in this moment to worship with you, to be a part of what you're doing, Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon what we do, how we look at your word, how we study, how we explore, how we fellowship, um, how we worship. Lord, that um, as we reflect on um, a book that really is not well known uh, from the scriptures and consider what it has to say for us, Lord, that we would, um, it would open questions and, and thoughts and ideas in our hearts and our minds that we might engage and journey together. We pray that you would be honored in all we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're going we're gonna to begin, um, like I said, we're going to do this a little bit different. I want to I start by reading um, the book of Jude. And so I invite you to take your Bible. If you have your Bible uh, with you, if you don't, there's a Bible in the rack in front of you. You can grab it. Um, and go all the way to the end, and you'll hit um, like uh, a bunch of like indexes and maps and things probably. Um, but then after you, if you go back, you'll hit the book of, Ro- of Revelation. And then if you keep going, you'll hit this little book um, right before Revelation. It's called Jude. It's just a few verses, um, just a, a, a short book. But um, as we read it, you'll just see it's just a weird book. There's just a lot of crazy stuff that goes on in this book. And, and, um, and we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at it. We're going to just look at the first few verses today. But I want to read the whole book. It's, it's, only, it's only 25 verses. It's easy to read. Um, so, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce his name correctly. So Jude is a, is a, is a Greek version of this. His name is Judah. All right. Um, this is a, this guy's name would have been Judah. Um, just like Judas is Judah. Um, in the, in the early English translations of the Bible, they differentiated between Judas, like Judas Iscariot and Judah, like the tribe of Israel. And this guy, Jude, they, they spelled their names differently so that you, you would know there were different people. So that's where that came from. Um, but they're really the same name, Judah, Judas, um, and Jude. Same thing as Jacob and James, um, Simon and Simeon. Uh, you know, there's all these, uh, Jesus and, and Joshua. They're all, um, they're all the same uh, Hebrew word. So Judah, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of Jacob, or James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in, um, <clears throat> for certain people have crept in, oh, my thing just moved, that's why I usually read it on paper. Uh, for certain people have crept in um, who unnoticed, who long ago were destined for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people, the ones who have crept in on a wire, 
um, also relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel, of Mike, uh, archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand inst- instinctively. Woe to them! For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast on you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed into such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They're loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Now, if I read that, and you were confused by all the things that Jude is talking about, or Judah talks about, you're not alone. Um, just real quick, let me give you just a little bit of background about, about, about Judah. So, <clears throat> James, the book that we just finished reading, is probably one of the very first Christian books, um, the books of the New Testament to be written. Um, Jude is probably one of the last so uh, James reflects the church when they were still, uh, most of the apostles were still around. And they were still sorting out what it meant for Gentiles to believe. And, and most of the believers were Jews at the time who had been driven out of, of Jerusalem and Judah. Um, now, when Jude is writing, probably sometime after 70 AD, we're not exactly sure when he's writing, somewhere between Um, Let's just say somewhere between 70 and 100. It's somewhere in there. Um, Most of the apostles are gone. Most of them are dead. The only living apostle at the time is John. Um, And he's up in Turkey. Um, He's up in uh, in the coastal, uh, western Turkey um, on the Ionian coast, uh, what, what then was called Asia Minor. Um, And he's, so he's pretty far away. And Judah is kind of left holding the bag. His brother James had been uh, one of the chief teachers in the apostolic period. And although he wasn't one of the original 12, he's con- he was considered 
uh, on par with the apostles. Um, and, and James and Judah are both Jesus' half-brothers. But Judah, Judah, or Jude, he, do, he does several things. He never claims to be an apostle. He never claims that authority. In fact, he, he refers to the teaching of the apostles, very separate from himself. Uh, it's very interesting because this gives us a glimpse into what the church kind of looked like when the apostles were gone, once they were removed from the scenario. Um, you don't have new apostles. You you have teachers who are calling themselves the servants of Jesus Christ, but they're not new apostles. Um, and that kind of puts a blow in some theological ideas of, of apostolic succession, that apostles appointed new apostles and eventually you get to the pope. Rather, you have, you have this, this guy who is dealing with a situation and just basically trying to remind people what it means to follow Jesus and the apostles. And he is in a world where he is, this is what you do. You write letters to people. And not only that, he is an extraordinarily good letter writer. A Jude has some of the finest Greek turns of phrase and stuff in the whole New Testament. This short little book that nobody ever studies because um, it talks about Enoch and the assumption of Moses and a bunch of crazy stuff going on. And a bunch of... In fact, the Greek is so good that some liberal commentators say, well, this couldn't possibly have been written by some rural Jew. They could not have possibly been smart enough to write this good in Greek. First of all, that's arrogant. All right. Um, but but secondly, they're like, well, this couldn't possibly be written. But here is a here's a man who's devoted his life to the church. And now he's kind of the second tier and he's dealing with people, not a threat from the outside of the church, but a threat from the inside of the church. And and how he addresses it is very different from the way the apostles address it. Um, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But one of the core points that he might makes right at the beginning of his letter, as he starts to talk to this, he says, um, he, he says, to those who are called, verse 1, it says, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Now, the way that that is actually phrased in Greek, I'm going to give you the, the kind of the way that it works, is that that beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ is actually in the middle of the sentence. It is um, to those beloved in God and kept for Jesus Christ the called. That's how it works in Greek. Um, and, and beloved and kept, they're, I know you guys are super excited about this, but they're participles. Uh, that's very stimulating for you. Um, but they're, they're, they're meant to define what it means to be the called. That what it means for God, and sometimes use the, this is the same word that, that gets translated as the elect. All right, a lot of times people are like, they talk about the elect. Those who are called to Jude are those who God loves and Jesus keeps. That, that's what it means to be the called. And so he basically evokes the sovereignty of God in the determination of who is a believer, who is a Christian. Um, he basically says, look, he says, this all comes down to God the Father and Jesus Christ. And we are called in them. And so when we come to the church, when we come to the scriptures, when we come to false teachers, when we come to all these things, 
he's, he's immediately drawing attention to whose business is this thing called the church. As we continue to worship, we want to take a moment, even as we're reflecting on, um, even as we're reflecting on the scriptures, the second line that, that Jude uh, has is, uh, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. So as we're, as we're worshiping together and we're, we're responding to Judah, I think it's important that we not just read the Bible, but that we respond to it. What does it mean in this moment? We, 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 we love to learn about what it meant in that moment, but what does it mean in this moment? Um, exposition, exegesis, studying the scriptures without, without then transporting it to our current context, it kind of falls short. And so I want to invite you in this moment, as we're, as we're thinking about this, these, these ideas of love and mercy, right? Again, he says, may per- mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. What are some ways that God has multiplied his mercy, his peace, or his love to you? How have you, uh, how have you seen in your life what Jude is talking about God makes a reality in the lives of the believers in the church. And so I, I want to give you a moment to, um, to think about that. Um, and then we'll take a minute and maybe just share, uh, real briefly, we don't have to get into big elaborate stories. I mean, you can if you want. We've got a hook. We can just pull you if we need to move on. The music will start up. Um, but but um, how has God multiplied? Not, not just, you know, that's an important word, multiplied, added to us, given to us. How has God's, mercy and peace and love been multiplied to you. And I want to give you an opportunity um, to share. So uh, yesterday was my daughter's birthday. And um, we're not allowed to embarrass her by singing. It's against the rules. Um, However, you know, if you wanted to sing to her after church, one at a time and out of key, she would be very happy. Now, so we, you know, we've had our we've had our, our niece Alana with us for a couple of days, and um, it's just extraordinary for me, at, at least. I mean, God's mercy upon me for you know taking a chance on letting me be a parent, um, but it was a dangerous choice. Um, but you know, we were talking about you know we were just talking about that that journey, and and uh, and uh, so God's mercy on us is. It's extraordinary. I think, I think the biggest thing about God's mercy is that we don't, we don't see it all the time. We can talk about his love, right? We, we talk about God's love on us and we say, oh, you know, God loves us. We can talk about his grace. And, but God's mercy on sinners that he, 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 I mean, even that he just allows us to breathe is pretty extraordinary. Um, and uh, so when, when Jude writes that, right, he says, uh, he, he, he opens with that, that line, and I'm gonna I'm gonna switch to my paper Bible for for the remainder of this because I trust my iPad for certain things, but for some reason, whenever I'm trying to read the Bible, it moves. Reminds me of one time I tried to use it for a, a wedding, and um, so I was trying. I had the music for the wedding, like the afterwards, you know, the procession was queued up on the iPad to push a button, and it played through the remote control would start the the music in the back. I was doing it all by myself, right? I got it. I got technology. It's all good. And I was sweating because it was hot and I was wearing a suit. 
And so I had my paper notes over my, my iPad because I figured, well, paper will prevent the contact from happening because it's capacitative. It has to conduct electricity. So I was like, I'll be fine. Paper doesn't conduct electricity. I forgot, however, that sweat does. So I'm very dignified going through the, you know, the wedding bit, and I put my hand down, and suddenly... That's why I don't use my iPad, generally speaking. Uh, you just never know when something's going to happen. Anyway, uh, in verse 3, Jude says, Beloved, right? he uses this term over and over again, beloved. He says, the loved ones. Right? He says, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation. So when Jude's originally planned to write this letter, and you say, well, how could possibly, it's only 25 verses. How could he have possibly been planning to write this letter? Remember, the Greek in this is very, very polished. It's very worked. And so we have this sense that maybe Jude has been working on writing this letter. Maybe this is going to be his, his last letter, his last big message to the church. We don't know. But he's, he's tr- carefully crafting this letter. And then um, the Holy Spirit moves him. He says, I was going to write to you about our common salvation, the, the thing we have in common. He uses the word uh, koinon, uh, commonality, which is the word we get koine, uh, which is the word we use to describe the Greek that the ancients spoke in, but it's also koinonia uh, is the word we use for fellowship and communion. All right, That's, that's the Greek word that's underneath that. So it's this, this common idea. I, I, I wanted to sit down and write to you guys and tell you about, let's just celebrate our common salvation, right? But he says, I found it necessary instead to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Something happened. Whether, whether, um, and those of you that, are, that write, you know, when you sit down to write something, you've got a really good idea of what you're going to write, and then as you're writing, it starts to take a different shape. And then you go, you go oh, maybe I should address that. Um, you know, now, I can tell you right now that that happens a lot in academia and really, somebody should tell these guys to stop doing it because um, they just wander off. And you're like, where are we going with this? Are we going to come back to the topic we started on? I, I, I always I have this thing when I'm reading books. If, if a guy says, here are the three things that I want to discuss. And he'll give the first one. and It'll be a couple paragraphs. Anybody that's read like academic theology books. First one's like a couple paragraphs. Then he gets into the second one and it just goes on for pages and pages and pages. And then I can never remember if he wrote the third one or not. I'm always going back and going, where did he say third? Would it be so hard to put a number there to tell us no? So it seems like something happened with Jude that he, he felt that it was necessary instead of talking about the common salvation to discuss the faith to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, this is part of where I mentioned that Jude, this is after the apostles, okay? Um, Jude is describing something that has been delivered. It, it's, it's set. This is established. And you could make an argument that, that one of the most extraordinary things about Jude is that Jude is incredibly self-conscious of the authority of the apostles. And he's not trying to add on. Jude makes no doctrinal statements. Everything he says is very practical. It's just application. The teaching of the apostles is set for Jude. 
This is just all application with a false, with a situation with false teachers. So, so Judah, he says, he says, look, I, I felt it was necessary to contend for the faith that was once delivered for all delivered to the saints. In other words, um, you, you know what we believe. And there are some people who are influencing your beliefs. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our, our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're going to unpack that. But you, you'll actually find a lot of similarities between Jude, First uh, and Second Peter, and the letters uh, to the churches in Revelation 1 through 3. They seem to be dealing with the same kind of influences in the church. Um, these, are, these are later letters, right? These are things that are written at the end. And, and they're dealing with a very similar situation. They're dealing with people who are, who are um, in the church. They, they've crept in, he says. So they, they've slipped in. They've, they've snuck in. And they're, they're slowly turning the church away from the faith that was once delivered. So it seems like if we if we kind of read between the lines that people are still preaching the gospel, the common salvation broadly. But he's noticing there's this subversive layer lying just underneath. There's some things that are happening that are changing. And and he's uncomfortable with them not because they make him uncomfortable, but because they go against the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And Jude doesn't need to to really get into elaborating all the points. Instead, um, and this is one of the, again, some interesting things about Jude. Jude doesn't do what Paul does. Paul says, here's a problem in the church. Allow me to present all of the reasons that this problem is wrong and all of the reasons that my point should be. And he just goes on and on. He makes these big, long arguments. Jude is just a giant slap across the face to these people. He's going to attack them. He's going to deride them. He, 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 um, he cites, you'll notice in the thing, he quotes these things that are not in the Bible, right? And there's a big argument about this. And I think what Jude is actually doing is that he is taking the things that these false teachers were using for a basis for their beliefs and flipping them on their head. So he's taking, if you really want the technical term, are you ready for this? The second temple pseudepigraphical, apocalyptic, sectarian writings. Okay? We'll just abbreviate that, right? In other words, a bunch of people running around saying they wrote new books of the Bible. Right? That's really what it is. All right? And these books, these, apocry- uh, these apocalyptic books, apocalypse means unveiling. The word revelation, it means to unveil. That's, that's all it means, the Greek word. And it's the idea of this is hidden knowledge. This is something secret. Um, this is something that, um, you know, oh, well, you know, Jesus didn't talk about this, but I got this special revelation. I one time uh, was sitting with a, a couple of Mormon elders. I think I've told this story before. Um, and they were describing how the Book of Mormon was found by Joseph Smith and um, how he was able to read these golden tablets that mysteriously are gone now in a language that no one ever spoke. Um, and but, but other people who are also part of the church saw it, so we know it's true, right? Um, and I said to the Mormon elder, who looked to be about 18, um, was ever there a, a worse name for their missionaries? Could they have come up with something better than these 20-year-old guys being called elders? 
Um, but um, I said to him, I said, so basically what you're saying is that uh, basically what you're saying is that God had a safety deposit box in upstate New York just in case things went south so that so he could restore the true faith. And the elder stopped and he goes, well, I've never heard it put that way, but that's a pretty good way of describing. It. I went, you don't see any problems with this. I mean, among other things, can anything good come out of upstate New York? But, you know, I mean, I know, I know. It was a joke. It was a joke. At least I wasn't making jokes about the Yankees. All right. So, um, but the, the, uh, this whole idea of this hidden knowledge, this is nothing new. All right. These are no new problems. And these, and these teachers that have infiltrated the church that he's dealing with, all right, these folks have, they're, they're drawing believers away from what it really means to be the church. And so Jude is going to reprimand these false teachers. He's going to openly uh, declaim them and deride them and mock them. He, he really does. Um, and he rests on the authority, not of his own office, because remember, Jude is not an apostle. He rests on the authority of the apostles who have come before him. So Jude may very well be the best testimony we have of the early church accepting the authority of the apostles, accepting the New Testament. That's what the New Testament is. The New Testament is the words of the apostles telling us who Jesus was and how to be the church. That's what they are. And, and so uh, we have this, this interesting thing with Jude where he is recognizing the authority of the apostles and calling the church back to the faith that was once delivered. Well, what is the faith that was once delivered? He's not just talking about the gospel. Right? The gospel is definitely the key to this faith. But it's the understanding of the scriptures and it's the revelation of who God is and how he works with us. This, this, this big idea. The gospel is the idea within this big idea, but the big idea of the gospel is that God loves people. He loves us so much that his son, Jesus, came and died for our sins and was raised from the dead. He loves us so much that he doesn't just give us that, he gives us direction and instruction and reproof and correction so that we might live our lives as followers of Christ. In other words, Jude wants the people who are listening to these contemporary false teachers to remind it of the eternity of their God. And when Jude was confronted... And this is a question I, I love to ask when I'm, when I'm reading the, the scriptures. I love to ask, and, and I know this is conjecture, but I love to ask, what was he thinking? What was his emotional state? What was his heart? Um, I've shared with, with a lot of people, when I, come, when I read Paul, most people read a theologian when they read Paul, kind of cold kind of um, reasoning, logical, and he certainly has that element. But when I read Paul, I actually read a heartbroken man. I, I, read an, 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 I, I read a man who's been through a lot. He's had a tragic life. He's had a hard life. He's made some terrible decisions. And um, his heart breaks for those who follow in those decisions, and he wants them to correct themselves and, and, and to follow the faith. When, when I read John... You know, everybody reads John. They say, John, John is the, the disciple of love. All John cares about is love. Um, 
John, John loves a lot of things. You actually read John and read how much he talks about light. And I always picture John. John was just that, that guy who loved to fish. He loved to be outside. He loved to, to do things. And you can see that in John's wording, the way he talks about things, about how excited he gets about people um, seeing and, and, and understanding. And John is actually a very deep, uh, uh, poetic heart. And people read Luke and they say, well, Luke was a doctor. He's very analytical and, and all this stuff. And, and I'm sure all doctors appreciate that that's how they appreciate doctors. Um, but, but Luke has a poet's heart. Luke records songs. Luke loves his mom. I know that sounds weird. But Luke loves his mom and he loves women and he loves to tell the story of women coming to faith and being a part of the church. Luke loves that he got to be with Paul. In the book of Acts, he, as soon as he can, he puts himself in the story. He says, and then we, Luke says, I was with Paul. You can read the different writers, you know, and you see their heart. When, when you look at Jude, um, I, I, I look at Jude and I just see a guy who is looking around himself and realizing, oh, this is my job now. It's my responsibility. It's time for me to step up and lead the church. Now, maybe he wrote this at the end of his life and he'd been doing this for a while. Or maybe he writes it at his end of his life because he is of the same generation as Jesus and the apostles. And all the others are gone and he looks around. And who doesn't enjoy when you're just about ready to retire and then they everybody else around you retires and you have to stay? I, I have a... I, uh, I have a friend, Bob, who's out in Ohio, who tried to retire from his job. Now, Bob is a, is a very interesting guy, um, but, but Bob is a, 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 he was for years, he built housing for special needs people. That's what he did. They, his, his county would buy houses, and he was the guy that oversaw the teams that made them all ADA compliant and everything for these, these disabled people to be able to live independent lives. What an awesome job. And he had the biggest key ring I've ever seen because he had keys to all of these houses. Like, like, like you could do like lift weights with this thing. It was like, I think he oversaw something like 35 or 40 single family homes that had been converted into individual living. Well, he was the only person that did his job. Um, and Bob right now, uh, you know, Bob is, uh, way too old to still be doing that job. And yet Bob, you know, until last year was doing it, until COVID. And he finally was like, listen, I'm not doing this anymore. You've got to get somebody else to do it. Because every time he went to do it, the people that he was picking to succeed him were his age, and they retired. Maybe Jude is in that place. All the, other, all the apostles are gone, and he goes, well, I guess I'm the last one in this area who, you know, knew Jesus, and they've already written everything. And so he writes this short letter. I also think that it's extraordinary that Jude's Greek is so great. Um, because, you know, if he was Jesus' half-brother, he grew up in Galilee. Where they didn't really speak Greek well. Everybody knew they had an accent and they talked funny. And we see that in the book of Acts. They're like, ah, Galileans. They actually can pick out that the apostles are Galileans without anybody telling them. Like, they, they just know by their accent. Um, I heard, by the way, a funny story that Arnold Schwarzenegger was not allowed to dub over his own voice in the Terminator movies for the German versions of the movie.
because apparently Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, I am, I'm here to say, you know, he speaks a kind of a, a rural, backwoods kind of German. And so he was never allowed to dub himself over, even though German was his first language. It's, it's funny. Um, but, you know, we can tell a lot by that. And Jude probably devoted his life to learning to speak Greek so that he could get a hearing from the Gentile hearers. And that's why his Greek is so good. And Jude's the younger brother, right? He's the last guy you'd think that would be left to deal with this major question. And Jude is also impatient. He is impatient with people that would corrupt the message of the Messiah. He has zero tolerance for them. I mean, just look at the way he describes them. And we're going to get to all these descriptions. But when he starts out with, uh, yeah, they're just like Sodom and Gomorrah, that's, that's a great way to lead, right? I mean, that's very loving, you know? Um, he, he says they defile the flesh. He says they reject people. He calls them hidden reefs. Um, he calls them corruptors. He says they, they're shepherds who feast on the flock, all right? And you may have noticed that when I was reading this in verse 12, I said, um, the, the English Standard Version says, as they feast with you, I actually think that that should be translated, they feast on you. That these were, these were wolves pretending to be shepherds. He has absolutely no patience for them. But you know who he does have patience for? Anybody who's journeying toward Christ. He despises those false teachers, but that doesn't make him a, a hard, callous, awful person because later on he talks about, he says, you know, you remember and, and you know what's going on. He says, so you've got to build yourselves up. You've got to protect yourselves and you've got to reach out to others. He's got a pastor's heart. He's got a shepherd's heart. And I just, you know, again, I, I just think of these guys, James and Jude, listening back to what Jesus said. When Jesus says that I am the great shepherd, he says, my sheep hear my voice. He, he uses, he says, he says, the shepherd lays down his life. He, he describes himself as a shepherd that, that lays in the opening of the sheepfold to protect them from the wolves. And Jude is just trying to live that out. He's just trying to be a shepherd of the sheep that God has given him. And maybe he didn't want that job. It was the last thing he wanted to do to have to deal with all of this. Again, my imagination goes wild, but I just picture Jude hearing about these false teachers and going, well, maybe Paul could address it. No, he's dead. What about James? Dead. Peter? Dead. All right. John? In prison, writing his own letter. Candlesticks, Alpha and Omega. He's got a whole thing going. All right, I'll, I'll write this. I'll address this. And he does. And we're going to spend the next couple of weeks unpacking what they were teaching, where they were going, what was going to happen to the church because of these false teachers if Jude didn't raise his voice. But if there's a, if there's a, big, if there's a big idea in the midst of all of this, it is that when you look around and there's no one doing what needs to be done, you've just got to Jude up and do it. Jude up. That's going to be the new slogan. Just Jude up. Everybody's going to be like, I have no idea what that means. They're like, oh, you're Christians? You missed the G in that word. Judge up. You know. But he, he, is, 
he's calling us, Jude in his example calls us to stand against the heresies, to change direction midstream if need be to address the things that were destroying the church. And again, like I said, maybe he's at the end of his life. And he knows that if I don't address this, there may be nobody left to address it. So I've got to do it. Um, because he's called to be a shepherd. I've always, I've always thought that it's interesting, and, and we're going we're gonna, to uh, receive the elements of the Lord's table in a moment. I'm just transitioning to this idea. Um, I've always thought it interesting that Psalm 23 comes out of a shepherding society. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? The shepherd's shepherd. That, that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, David's God was his shepherd. That the shepherd needs a shepherd. That the shepherd needs to yield to the guidance of the shepherd. And again, we're going to talk about Jude, these shepherds who are feasting on the flock. They're, they're, they're taking advantage of what God has entrusted to them. And Jude, he's calling everyone to look to their great shepherd, their master shepherd, Jesus, and to change the way they think and to weed out the heresy and the apostasy and the dangerous false teachers. Now, in order for us to stand for the truth, we have to first kneel before the truth giver. In order for us to shepherd the flock of Christ, we have to first be part of the shepherd's flock. And the reason that we observe the Lord's table, among many other reasons, we, we talk about how it is the, we, we, we know the presence of Christ in these elements. We've talked about how they remind us not just of something that happened in the past, but a present reality and a future reality. We talk about how it unites us with Christ. But it's also, Paul makes a point in 1 Corinthians, he says it's a self-check. He says, let all of you examine yourselves at this table. To really look at ourselves, maybe the way that Jude looked at the church, we have to look at ourselves. Because if we're going to be Christian leaders, if we're going to stand against false teachers, we've got to make sure that we are staying true to our Lord. And this table is meant, among many other things, to do that. That we, in our partaking of the bread and the wine, or in our case, grape juice, all right, um, this would not be a problem, by the way, if we spoke a, a language that, that derived from Latin. There aren't two separate words, grape juice and wine. We could just use one word. Um, but the, this, this participation, it is a participation in Christ. And in participating in Christ, we look at ourselves, we repent of the sin that might hold us back from doing the job God has called us to do. And so this morning, in a moment, I'm going to start playing. What I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the, I'm going to invite the congregation from the back forward and the wings first. All right, so these outside wings um, to come forward uh, and receive the elements. We still have the, the little prepared cups, but I'm going to invite you to receive the elements of the Lord's table. And so like back to come down, receive the elements and then go down the middle 
and then kind of start forming on the outside. We're going to try to form a circle in the sanctuary. Um, and then, after the wings have cycled through, the middle section come down the outside and come down. Now, some folks are not mobile. So if you're not able to get up um, and you need, you need somebody to bring, grab the element, just grab the person next to you and say, can you grab two? And they won't say no. All right, because Christians are supposed to help. Um, but what we want to do is we want to form a, a circle around the sanctuary with the elements. Now, I know we got it. some folks have to maintain space. If you're uncomfortable with being close to other people in that standing situation, I'd invite you to go ahead and just go out in the foyer and you can kind of stand out there and still be a part of what's going on. Um, but where we're standing, we're not singing or anything like that. We're just, we're just going to stand and receive the elements and then we'll be dismissed. We'll be benedicted. Um, but so as I'm playing, again, I want the wings to come down, receive the elements, go down the center, and then we'll just start forming a circle around the outside, all right? Um, so I'm going to open these up, and then I'm going to play, and then we're going to do that. <laughs> 